It is an absolutely beautiful Monday, May 11th. Dogs have been barking all morning. I think I heard some birds. I heard some insects. think I'm going to have to get out the raid right now. <laughs> Just kidding. But it is a beautiful day. Hopefully it stays that way. Hopefully your life is beautiful. Things are going the way that you want them to. If you are a mother, hopefully you had a fantastic Mother's Day on Sunday. Of course, it wasn't a beautiful day weather-wise, but hopefully the people around you spoiled you a little bit, made you feel important because you all are, no doubt about that. This is Edge of Your Seat Podcast, episode 83. I am your host, Brandon Lachance. Special shout out to Brian Cavelli for the intro and outro beat. He is the man in the podcast, definitely appreciates him lending us a track so you guys can enjoy too. It definitely gets your head nodding. does mine every single time that I listen to it. Don't know where you heard this show, but you can catch us on Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes, and Google Music. Please share us with your friends, your loved ones, family members, everybody. If they like podcasts, or even if they don't, introduce them to the podcast with Edge of Your Seat Podcast. We talk about sports, movies, TV, books, absolutely everything. We throw in some WWE. We throw in some life lessons, all kinds of stuff. I know we're probably, if you were going to give us one word to describe, say sports, but I've also heard it's kind of like a variety show, and I like it that way. I like to be able to talk about everything. I try to be as well-cultured as possible, and most of my guests are too. Culture is a huge thing. And why not spread it around, not just focus on one thing. That's what we try to do here. Social media, hit us up on Facebook, Edge of Your Seat Podcast, and Twitter, Edge of Your CP. If you have any suggestions, questions, want to throw some sponsorship money, email edgeofyourseatpodcast at gmail.com. On today's show, episode 83, we have St. Bede softball coach Rob Rupert. Good man, I've known him for quite some time. He took the Lady Bruins to the IHSA State Tournament last year where they finished third in Class 1A. Unfortunately, did not get the chance to try to take his team back this year because of COVID-19 and the world pretty much shutting down. No school in session, did homeschooling. I think that's about wrapping up as we are in kind of the middle of May. I guess we're still in the beginning, but... Almost the middle. School is wrapping up even through e-learning. And I had to say took away state tournaments and pretty much the whole spring season. So the Lady Bruins and all other baseball, softball, track teams, soccer, tennis, all the sports that would be going on in the spring did not happen. So we talk about that. We talk about sports in general. He is a huge sports guy from when he was younger until today like he's still a huge sports fan so we talk about a lot of stuff he openly said that he wants to come back and talk sports as much as possible so he will be back there's no doubt about that either something we did talk about was the last dance when i talked to him it was april 23rd so only the first two episodes of the last dance had aired seven and eight just aired yesterday which i did watch it was super hype. Every single Sunday, it is must-see TV. And, of course, I'm watching it. It's Michael Jordan. It's the Chicago Bulls. It's what I grew up with, and I have loved the team ever since. Even through their bad years, which is going on right now, unfortunately. 
I'm a huge Bulls fan, always will be. Michael Jordan's my guy. Probably top three in terms of role models in competitiveness and drive to do better at what you're doing every day of your life. So of course I was watching that. Episodes seven and eight were interesting. You know, flipping back and forth from the 97-98 season, which this is pretty much about, but it always flips back to the past. So it had the 93 retirement of Jordan and kind of fast forwards all the way through 95 and the 96 season. I jotted notes down and I'm just gonna flow through those cause it's in the timeline of the show. So episode seven starts off with Jerry Krause doing a, I guess, conference. And he's asked about, you know, with the backstabbing going on, what is gonna happen with this team in the 97-98 season. And he's, <laughs> he got really mad. He jumbled his words around, but I, and then walked away after he sort of answered the question and saying there's nothing going on with this team. They're playing really well. We're ready for the playoffs because it was right before the 97-98 playoffs. And then walked away and he said a question like that, I don't need to do this anymore, and walks away. The first opponent for the Bulls in the 98 playoffs the New Jersey Nets, which I actually really liked that team. Back in the day, I knew they weren't going to win anything, but they were just fun to watch. Chris Gatling, the bald head with the headband, get hit mid-range Jays all day. Kerry Kittles, three-point shooter. He was fast, smart defender. Keith Van Horn was not what we thought he was going to be coming out of Utah, but an okay player. Jason Williams, I never really liked him. Didn't think he was a great player. thought he was okay on an okay team. And then, you know, he convicted of murder, goes to jail, and never really heard of again. And Kendall Gill, which is secretly one of my favorite players. I loved Kendall Gill out of Illinois, even though I was really, really young when that happened. Watching him with the Hornets. He was a bull for a little bit, way after the Nets. Kind of jumped around team to team, but was always a professional, always a good player. So it was good to see, you know, them kind of show that team, even though they got ran through by the Bulls. But I really did like that team when I was younger. And then, of course, episode seven really keys in on Michael Jordan's dad, James Jordan, who comes missing July 23rd, 1993. They find his body August 13th of 93. He shot in the chest. He was robbed. You know, obviously, that takes a toll on a person. Obviously, this is a loved one. It was not like James Jordan was an estranged dad. He was a very big part of Michael Jordan's life, and especially sports. But the way Michael Jordan, with all the press and media pushing him every day, always on him, always stayed positive. He said, my dad taught me to turn a negative into a positive. And he said his mom, Dolores Jordan, was, hey, be thankful that you had that dad and he was there. And he was going to pass or leave at some point. Be thankful that he was there. But then, of course, the media turns everything, taking shots at Jordan. And Jordan says that trying to link his gambling to his father's death. Like, that was tied in. Somebody killed James Jordan because Michael Jordan was gambling. No evidence of that whatsoever. And if you look at the history books, or I guess the bookie books, Jordan paid all his debts off. That's how this got started, because he paid somebody, like $57,000. This guy goes to trial for a case they're looking through his financials and see that there's a check from Michael Jordan. Obviously, Michael Jordan was paying his gambling debts. He wasn't gambling stuff he didn't have. He made a millions of dollars every year, especially with the Nike contracts. 
and the Wheaties and the McDonald's. And he's an NBA basketball player and a champion. In 1993, in the summer, a three-time champion, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. He's making money, and he's able to pay what he was doing. That was crazy that they tied it together. But, you know, being a media guy myself, I kind of get it. But those assumptions is what made, you know, fake news and, you know, the media stupid, kind of like headlines, because of things like that. And in 93, without social media, I'm sure it was huge. Imagine putting social media with that. Oh, you guys would have tore that apart on Facebook or Twitter. And then right after that, right after the death of his father, goes into the talks of Michael Jordan wanting to retire. Like, he was tired. He was definitely tired. After coming into the league, taking this struggling Chicago Bulls organization that was about drugs and the cocaine bulls, to turn it around to three-time champions, a three-peat, which had only been done a few times before, I think two, to getting to that level of success, I'm sure he was tired. And then the media hounding him all the time, especially with the gambling. And then his father being murdered. So he retires, decides to go play ball with the White Sox. I kind of remember October 5th, 93, of him throwing that first pitch at a White Sox playoff game. I kind of remember that. Because I'm a Sox fan, I grew up a Sox fan. I kind of lean you know, towards the White Sox and Cubs. I'm a Chicago sports fan. I know a lot of people don't like that, but that's how I view sports. I'm for the city. So Bulls, Blackhawks, Sox, Cubs, Chicago Sky, Chicago Fire. I'm a fan of them all. But he throws the first pitch, and there was already rumblings. Okay, what's he going to do now? Then they have a press conference. Media everywhere. Everywhere for his retirement. It was in the retirement. Said my dad saw my last basketball game. Not closing the door to come back to basketball, but I want to leave for a minute. I remember that as a little kid. I remember sort of the press conference. Probably didn't watch the whole thing. The people that we were living with at the time watched news all the time. So I probably saw little clips being re-aired, you know, consecutively. Let's re-air these clips of Michael Jordan because obviously that was news. It's news now in 2020. Just imagine in 1993. And I remember the retirement and I cried. I remember being a little kid crying. I had a Michael Jordan jersey. I had the bull shorts to match. I had all that stuff. I was a huge Jordan fan even back then. So when they said he was not going to play basketball, which since the day I was born is my favorite sport, I cried. I remember sitting there at the TV crying because my hero was not going to be on the basketball court. And until I was probably like 19, 20, 21, I really didn't care about baseball at all. I am not one of those guys that can go back, you know, before, you know, I'm going to say probably like 97, 98. I know some of the guys' names in the 90s especially White Sox players, but outside White Sox and Chicago Cubs, I can't tell you anything past like the big names. Ken Griffey Jr., Randy Johnson, you know, those guys I know. I know the big names, but like the relief pitchers or the seven to nine guys in batting orders, I couldn't tell you that. I can tell you pretty much full lineups of NBA teams from 80 to now. I can do that, but baseball, I could never do that. So I really wasn't a huge baseball guy or kid. For him to leave my favorite sport to go to baseball, I kind of felt like he was like cheating on me or you know, leaving me behind. I'm like, what are you doing? Obviously, I'm a little kid, so I take it differently as you get older. So then they, they talk about the private suspension theory. You know, his father's just murdered. 
there's this gambling thing. They're already linking that together. And now it's like, hey, you know, these things are, are crazy. Are they trying to boot Michael Jordan out so that this isn't a thing? And in the docuseries, I liked that they asked Commissioner David Stern, rest in peace, he's no longer with us. But they started this long enough ago so that they could speak to him. And he said, absolutely not. That would be ridiculous. And a journalist even says, like, why would David Stern, who is a capitalist and kind of a cash cow in sports, try to kick out the number one drawing player of all time? Which makes good sense. We're talking about Michael Jordan. To this day, millions of people across the country call him the greatest of all time. And not just people, not just watchers, not just fans, other players that are NBA All-Stars or champions or Hall of Famers or veterans or all of that still to this day say Michael Jordan is the greatest player of all time. Why would you try to take that away from your league when he was making everybody's purse or wallet or bank account go up? When he went to a city, it was going to sell out or more fans than normal were going to come because they wanted to see Michael Jordan. David Stern wasn't going to just push him out. No way. I wish they would have talked to more people besides Stern and Michael Jordan, because Michael Jordan you know, says there's absolutely no way that there was a suspension, nothing like that. He decided to retire. I wish there was just a few, just a couple more witnesses. Phil Jackson says, hey, I sat down with Michael Jordan in Jerry Reinsdorf's office and we talked about this and he said he wanted to retire. I wish he kind of wanted to elaborate that there wasn't this theory. And just a couple other people, maybe a friend, a personal agent, a trainer, somebody else that wasn't Stern or Michael Jordan, just to add some more depth to it. And obviously in 94, when Jordan you know, starts playing baseball, working out with the White Sox, they offer him an invite to a camp. There was all the talk about how his dad wanted him to play baseball. He loved baseball always. On the docuseries, they're showing photos of a young Michael Jordan in Little League baseball poses. I remember all of that. And still, I felt betrayed that he was leaving basketball to play baseball. But I remember that, but didn't understand, like, the feeling behind it. Like, your dad is just murdered. And he always wanted you to play baseball. The last conversation that MJ and his dad had were debating on whether he should play baseball because he was kind of tired of basketball. He was exhausted from it all, wanted to switch up, wanted to change things, change a pace. That's the last combo he has with his dad. I don't remember that. I didn't know that. So for him to go and play baseball now just makes total sense. You need a change. You need a break. You're a crazy supreme athlete that has the media power that nobody's seen except maybe Muhammad Ali. I don't even think Babe Ruth is in that era. Wayne Gretzky isn't. I don't think LeBron is. He's right underneath them. But I think Muhammad Ali and Michael Jordan might be the two most press-driven media behind every move people. And LeBron's right after them. Don't get me wrong. LeBron, everybody is on him all the time just as well. But Michael Jordan is just in another atmosphere, I believe. Even in being followed by the press and how the press went after him on everything. But it's just crazy that he was able to do that. Didn't play baseball from the ages of 17 to 31. <laughs> so he plays in high school and then 31 years old, he's like, hey, 
I want to go be a Major League Baseball player. They put him straight in double A. I didn't know that either. I thought maybe he had to work his way up from rookie ball, things like that. Again, I was a young kid and haven't really looked into it. I just knew he played baseball. Double A, Birmingham Barons. And he had to have had the most press attention for a minor league baseball player ever. Like, absolutely ever. They were selling out games just because of his name and who he was. Another thing I didn't know. Starts off with a 13-game hitting streak. We're talking about Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. Gets into baseball and is just connecting for 13 straight games. But of course, you know, it's baseball. Even with professional baseball players that have been playing the game every day from 3 years old to 35, 40 years old, you know, you go through slumps and they find out his weakness where he couldn't hit a breaking ball. And I do remember this SI cover, Sports Illustrated. I've been a big Sports Illustrated guy forever. And it said Baggett Michael, telling him to quit playing baseball and go to basketball. But of course, Michael Jordan's like, nah, I'm going to do what I want to, not what you think I should do. And plus, he needed the break. Honestly, I'm kind of glad that he left to go play baseball and then come back. Because we saw what happens when he comes back. They win another three championships. And of course, there's all the people that say, oh, well, maybe they could have won eight in a row. I highly doubt it. Highly, highly, highly doubt it. That long of playing basketball takes a toll on you. You saw Kobe Bryant when he was in the finals or long playoff runs every year. The beginning of the season, he looked ragged. By the end of the season, he looked more ragged. Same thing with LeBron James, nine straight finals. That takes a huge toll on your body. In the last couple years, LeBron, maybe not so much this year, but last year and the year before, was dealing with some injuries because of that much play. If you don't have your star players in the finals, you're not going to win. That's just how it goes. So I don't know if they win eight straight. I, I really couldn't tell you. I'm really glad that he took that break, came back, and did what he did. But even in baseball, he has a 202 batting average and drives in 50 RBIs. That's pretty crazy. For a basketball player to go into double A with no really baseball training except, you know, a camp here and some workouts to get his body into baseball shape, that's pretty insane. Not playing since you were 17 years old and have a 202 batting average. There's baseball players that have been playing that long, playing 20 years that don't have a 202 batting average. Just saying. But while MJ was away, I did love that Scottie Pippen got to be the man. And during that 18-month break without Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen was my favorite basketball player. He was always smiling. He was always doing everything on the court. And honestly, as a 9, 10-year-old kid, Scottie Pippen was who I always said I was when I was on the basketball court. Of course, when Jordan was playing, I was MJ. Obviously, not nearly as good, but I wanted to be like, hey, I'm MJ. When we were like shooting hoops, friends, playing horse, we would pick a player who we were going to be. If I got first pick, I was MJ. Because everybody who had first pick always said MJ. But then it kind of switched up. When MJ left, I wanted to be Scottie Pippen. So it was cool seeing him having an MVP caliber season. I remember those games. I remember going to school the next day. It's like, oh, did you see what Scotty did? That's what I do like about this docuseries, like bringing up the fond memories of childhood and the Chicago Bulls. It has definitely done that for just about everybody. I do remember the last second shot that Tony Kukoc drilled to win a game over New York in the playoffs, 104-102 victory. But Scotty Pippen sat on the bench and was a baby. He was a baby. 
because Phil Jackson drew up the play for Tony Kukoc and not Scottie Pippen, although Scottie Pippen was having an MVP caliber year, and he was the guy after Michael Jordan left. I remember that very, very vividly. And I remember thinking, like, why is he being like that? Why is the best player on the team crying because somebody else gets an opportunity? I do remember that. And I remember my coach, I don't know what grade I would have been in, fifth, fourth, third, something like that, said, this is how you're not supposed to act. If it's somebody else's time, then you share that with them. You don't need to hog the spotlight because it's team first, not player first. I remember being taught off of Scottie Pippen's mistake. And he says it's a mistake too. Scottie Pippen knew that he felt bad about that and that he wished it wouldn't have happened. But he also said in the docuseries, if it happens again, it probably does happen again. He probably does do that because he's caught in the moment. And that happens. That happens with all of us. But I remember being taught off of Scottie Pippen's moment about like, hey, this is a team game. If you're the best player, they're going to be looking for you to do that. They're not looking for somebody else to take that shot and make it. And especially Tony Kukoc had done it throughout the season. So why not give him another opportunity? Phil Jackson calls the play, and Tony drills it. Another thing that I like about this docuseries, they're showing that everybody had a part in this. Bill Cartwright, after Scottie Pippen does that, starts crying in front of the team, making a statement about how this is all of us. This isn't just you. This isn't one person. It wasn't with Michael Jordan and it wasn't with you. We are all here. I thought that was a very important message for sports fans, especially if you didn't know anything about the Chicago Bulls and you're watching this, to know that it wasn't just Pippen and Jordan and Rodman. All these guys played a part. Steve Kerr hits a big shot. John Paxton, B.J. Armstrong, Horace Grant had a huge impact on the team. Bill Cartwright, a leader behind the scenes. Maybe not the best player on the court. Definitely not the best player on the court. But they all have an impact. They all put a staple, a stamp on the team. And I'm glad that we're going back and seeing all the little parts that people play. Yes, Michael Jordan is the best player of all time. Yes, Scottie Pippen is probably a top 35 player of all time. Yes, Dennis Rodman is the number one glue guy ever in the NBA. But they couldn't do it alone. Three guys don't win six championships or three championships because Rodman wasn't there for all of them. The point is, everybody played a part, and I'm glad that they're showing the little pieces, the glue stuff that everybody did. And Seven kind of ended with them talking about like Michael Jordan being a tyrant and that Scottie Pippen was you know, laid back and more supportive. And I understand the roles of both people. I get it. They are both important. But if you look at sports, the guys that push you and make you better are the ones that are a little tougher on you. I just think the ones that push you are more direct. They can still love you, but get the best out of you by being tough. Tough love if you want to call it, whatever. But I have always reacted to that better. We always get on LeBron James because he doesn't have that killer instinct because he's not pushing people to be better. And if you look at it, he hasn't. He's jumped around team to team to try to get with better players, but he has never sat down and practiced and pushed people to try to be on his level or close as they can, knowing that they can't, but trying to make them better players, better people. I don't know if he's done that. I really haven't seen much evidence of that. Michael Jordan made every player better. He made those practices intense because that's how games work. These are game feels. He was talking smack to his own teammates 
because he knew the players from Seattle, from New York, from Indiana, were going to talk smack to them and try to beat them down. So he did it in practice to get them ready. That to me is a leader and somebody that I'd want to play with for sure. And it's awesome to see that, you know, the players that were around Michael Jordan knew that and understood that. They didn't have to call him a nice guy, but they called him a winner and somebody that made them better. Episode 8 starts off with another team that I really, really liked watching. 98 second round of the playoffs was against the Charlotte Hornets. I love that team. Glenn Rice, Vladi Diva, Del Curry, Anthony Mason, BJ Armstrong. That was a cool team to watch too. Not really great, but they were just fun, exciting ballplayers. Glenn Rice could shoot the gym out. Anthony Mason was a tough, burly dude. BJ Armstrong, I mean, I loved him from Chicago. But it really wasn't tough for the Bulls to beat him. Game two, obviously, B.J. Armstrong hits a couple big shots. They win 78-76. But then the Bulls win the next three games and close it out in five. But then we go back to the MLB and, you know, retirement stuff with Jordan and then him coming back. Jerry Reinsdorf says that Michael Jordan would have made it to the MLB if there wasn't the strike in 94. Because Jordan's like, I'm not playing in replacement games. They wanted to bring him in as a replacement player for the MLB, and he said, no, I'm not having it. I do remember the clip that they showed right after that. Scottie Pippen puts his foot up, he's got the Michael Jordan shoe on, and he puts his finger like, come here. Like, hey, Jordan, come back. Eight days later, March 18th, 95, MJ has the I'm back statement. The Bulls are 34 and 31 during that season. No MJ, Horace Grant had left, went to the Magic. I remember all of these moments very vividly. I remember smiling, jumping up and down at the TV. I remember a couple people that we were living with at that time, like cut out the newspaper, put it on the refrigerator, had the photo of Jordan coming back. Like that was huge for all of us. That's all we talked about in school. All we talked about in school. I also remember the number 45 jersey. I remember his first game back against Indiana Pacers. I watched this live. They lost 103-96 in overtime, and I remember watching Jordan in the 45. And I remember telling myself, if he was wearing number 23, I don't know if that happens. Again, I'm a kid. March 95, I'm nine years old. So I'm nine years old watching this game thinking, why is he not wearing 23? I kind of get it. He's coming back, wanted to wear this number from back in the day, and I felt heartbroken that they lost. How do they lose to the Pacers with Jordan back? It's Michael Jordan. I also remember watching the Knicks game that they were talking about on the docuseries where he scores 55 points. I remember jumping up and down, fist pumping before fist pumping was even a thing. At least I don't think it was a thing in 1995. Super pumped to watch Michael Jordan do that. I'm like, okay, they're back, they're back, they're back. And then of course they run into the magic, Penny Hardaway, Shaquille O'Neal, Horace Grant after he left the Bulls. Nick Anderson, Dennis Scott, Scott Skiles, I think, was on that team. I rem they had three-point bombers everywhere. I remember all of them. But I forgot that that even happened in 95 because I thought Jordan had took the full two years. I never looked back until they were saying, you know, early in the docuseries it was 18 months. And I have said that before. But now going back, like, I remember this Magic team being so awesome. And maybe I just didn't want to remember them beating the Bulls. I mean, I was a little kid and didn't want the Bulls ever to be beaten. But then I guess in the spotty memory of being a kid, I remember Nick Anderson's comment 
about 45 doesn't look like 23. And I remember Michael Jordan coming back the next game and just stomping a muddle on him. But the Magic won, unfortunately. Then they ran into Akeem Olajuwon and the Houston Rockets. That was an awesome team. I really would have liked to see a Chicago Bulls team play that Houston Rockets team. That would have been awesome. Because Akeem Olajuwon is another level center. He's probably top three, top five center of all time. And what he was doing then was on another level from anybody that the Bulls ever had as a center. So to see them in a seven-game series for the NBA championship, that would have been pretty amazing. Of course, I think the Bulls would have won it out, but it would have been cool to see. And of course, I remember Space Jam. It is the only movie that I've seen in the theaters three times. I think I was living in Sycamore at that time. And I went to the Sycamore movie theater that was downtown three times to watch Space Jam. And every time I got the little drink with the straw that had different straws with the different Monstars on them or Michael Jordan on the cups, I probably had like five or six of them. I don't have any of them anymore, but I remember collecting them every time I went to the movie theater. I had to beg and beg and beg and wash tons of dishes and fold a lot of laundry but I did get to go to the movies three times to watch it. Still an awesome throwback movie. Is it award-winning? Is it the best movie ever made? No way! But it's tons of fun and Michael Jordan's in it, so why not? What I did not know was the other stuff. I did not know that Warner Brothers built him a basketball facility for him to work out and keep practicing. Of course, he's mad at the Magic. He wants to still be playing for a championship. He's Michael Jordan, the biggest competitor ever and best basketball player ever. So they build him a facility and he has these games after doing filming and working out with Reggie Miller, Juwan Howard, Sean Bradley, who I will always think is a bum, he was just tall, but I'll throw him in there because he was a name. And all these NBA guys, that is pretty awesome. So he was doing all of this all at the same time. Like, hey, I'm gonna make this movie. I am going to get my body back in NBA shape because it wasn't. That was definitely visible in that Orlando Magic series. His body wasn't ready. So to be able to do all that was pretty insane. I did not understand when I was a little kid that that was going on behind the, the filming of Space Jam. And Dennis Rodman was there. So they got to know each other a little bit better before they eventually became teammates. What I also like about this is they're showing the side of Michael Jordan where he's not always right. Like I said, episode seven ends with them asking if Michael Jordan's a tyrant. Well, he comes back and then him and Steve Kerr are fighting, like literally hitting each other. Phil Jackson kicks Michael Jordan out of a practice and makes him understand, like, well, you can't do that. This is your teammates. So Michael Jordan calls Steve Kerr, apologizes. They instantly gain respect for each other and became good teammates. But just to have Michael Jordan as a human being, because let's face it, before all of this, and even if you don't know any of this in the 90s and you're just watching this stuff for the first time, Michael Jordan was like a superhero. He could not be destructed. Nothing could face him. So to see these human being things happen, you know, there are some people to this day, I could be guilty of it from time to time, thinking that everything I think or I do is right and that you can't tell me or change that, especially when I was a younger kid. There was no way that anybody was going to tell me differently because I had done these things by myself. You get to a certain level of 
finances or success or whatever where nobody helped you. So then you keep going that way and don't think that any other way is going to work. And that's how Michael Jordan was, obviously. He'd won these championships. He'd become the biggest, the best player in professional sports, not just the NBA. So to have this little dude, Steve Kerr, like get into his face, him get kicked out of a practice, that was pretty big for him, for the Bulls then, and for us to see that now, to understand, hey, he's human and these things do happen. And then of course that 95-96 team goes 72-10, sweeps the Magic in the Eastern Conference Finals, finishes 87-13 and on the year, which a .870 winning record is the best ever. The Golden State Warriors from 16-17 finished 83-16 and with an 8-3-8 winning percentage, but didn't win a ring, thanks to LeBron James and the Cleveland Cavaliers. And as I've been discussing this series, this docu-series, on Facebook, a lot of people keep talking about, and a lot of people were saying, you know, the different competition that Michael Jordan faced, you know, probably wasn't as good as LeBron James. I totally disagree. I loved the Seattle Supersonics team. Gary Payton, Sean Kemp, Detlef Schrimp, Percy Hawkins, Sam Perkins, David Wingate, all really good players. Gary Payton, to me, in the 90s, was one of the best point guards ever. He was in that conversation with John Stockton, Mark Price, Penny Hardaway. He was one of those guys. He was at that level. He was a defensive player of the year. He was called the glove. I remember watching that series as a kid thinking that Seattle was going to get a couple, and they did. I didn't think that the Bulls were going to get the sweep, even though a lot of other people did think they were going to. But they had a lot of good pieces to win one or two games. Not a series, not by any means. There's no way that the Bulls are going to lose that. But to say that that Seattle team wasn't good, oh, they were an awesome team to watch. Very, very deep. Obviously the best team in the West. They deserve to be in that finals. So to say that Michael Jordan that year didn't have the level of competition that he should have, I don't think that's fair at all to the Seattle Supersonics. They were, they were pretty beastly. I did think it was funny for Michael Jordan to laugh at Gary Payton saying, oh, I wasn't really worried about Gary Payton. I had a lot of things on my mind. I don't agree with Michael Jordan. Gary Payton was probably the best defender, at least at the point guard guard position in that year or, you know, that three, four years in that little span. So I do think that Gary Payton affected his game. You cannot sit there and say that he didn't. There's video footage. Gary Payton did fight him every second of the way. So he did affect Michael Jordan's game. But he does make a good point when he said, hey, I had a lot of other things going on in my mind. Game six of that NBA Finals was on Father's Day. He had just lost his father. This is the first championship finals appearance since his dad had passed away. His dad was with him every step of the way. It makes sense. So I don't agree that Gary Payton didn't affect his game because I believe he did. But I do understand he was thinking about his father he had other personal things going on. And when you do have other things going on, maybe you don't play to your level. But to say Gary Payton didn't affect your game, Jordan, I'm sorry, he did. He definitely did. But the Bulls win game six, 87-75, take their fourth championship in six years, and it's the first of the second three-peat. And obviously, if you're a sports fan, you've seen all the clips of Michael Jordan crying when they win that, he's laying in the locker room, the basketball in his hands, just crying, sobbing it up. 
that made me tear up a little bit. I remember watching it then. I remember watching it now. And now the emotion behind it feels more real than it did as a little kid. You know, when you lose somebody that means a lot to you, especially if they're linked to something else like basketball, if they're linked to that and then they're not there, that's a lot of emotion. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of grief on your heart. And to be able to do that without your father, who was there every step of the way, you know, that image, that video clip means more to the public, well, at least to me, going forward from 1996 to 2020. I did like how they wrapped up episode 8, May 1998, the Eastern Conference Finals against Indiana Pacers. Again, a team that I loved. Reggie Miller, Rick Smith, Chris Mullen, Greg Anthony. I want to say Antonio Davis was on that team. I believe they had the Davis guys. I love that team. Obviously, I didn't want them to beat Michael Jordan, but I did love watching that team throughout the regular season. They ended episode eight with Reggie Miller saying, you know, there's all this talk about the end of an era, Michael Jordan not being here, and him telling himself, you're going to retire Michael Jordan. And then they end the episode. And I just kind of sat there. I'm like, what if that really would have happened? Reggie Miller's a Hall of Famer, great player. But what if he would have been the guy? What if that Indiana Pacers team would have been the ones to knock Jordan and the Bulls off of that pedestal? Just thinking about it. Obviously, it doesn't happen. But going back, like, how would we have looked at Reggie Miller now? Does that put him in another category than he is now? Right now, he's a Hall of Famer, good player, great player. But he's not mentioned as a top 50. He's not mentioned on anybody's all-time teams. He's not. If Miller and that Pacers team knock him off, is he? Is he put in an all-time team? He's an all-time shooter. If we're lining up guys for an all-time best three-point shootout, Reggie Miller's in there. But as a player, an all-around player, on all NBA teams, on the greatest of all time, who are you picking? Reggie Miller's really not thought of in that category. If they knock out Michael Jordan, he might just be. Maybe. So I was thinking about that. I'm still thinking about that. But I like how they ended it that way to go on to 9 and 10, which are coming out this Sunday. I love The Last Dance. I wish they could do a million episodes. Man, if they wanted to start with, you know, get more in depth of, you know, the 1984 Bulls and go in depth for every year, I would love that. Or even pick another team and another player, maybe even another sport. But these episodes, this docu-series, has been great for TV, has been great to keep things going on during this COVID-19, and it's been all around awesome for everybody. To talk to our podcast guest, or, you know, in the intro talking about this, I probably just spent a half hour talking about The Last Dance. It has been amazing. And we got two more left to go. I'm super pumped. But I just mentioned COVID-19. It seems like things are starting to let up a little bit. I'm seeing restaurants are opening places. Drive-ins are opening within a week. You know, we still got a social distance and things are different. The MLB is talking about opening the season June 4th with no fans. Talking about rule variations to make the game different or you know more enjoyable because these players are gonna be out of shape. Talking about moving the designated hitter to the National League as well, not just have it in the American League for the 2020 season. So we'll see how things go. We will see if things start moving back into a process where we can get back to semi-normal. 
I don't think life is ever going to be normal as we knew it before. Things are going to be different. We are probably going to be wearing masks in public places for quite a long time. I don't see it stopping. Unless you choose to stop and there's going to be no law enforcement. I don't know how that works. But there are gas stations and general stores that have signs on the windows that say no shoes, no shirt, no mask, no service. So it's a real thing right now. We'll see when that backs away. One thing we have noticed during this quarantine are things around the house that may need to be fixed or updated. Home improvements. Whether it's a light fixture or an entire kitchen remodel, Olson Construction is here to help. The family owned and operated company prides itself in offering family prices with family honesty. Olson Construction specializes in roofing, siding, windows, doors, deck designs, garage and room additions, and remodels of all kind. Owner Keith Milas has been in construction for over 10 years and is willing and able to take care of your home renovations from start to finish with your thoughts and opinions taken with every step of the journey. For a free estimate, call Olson Construction, which is fully licensed and insured at 815-910-5982. Or you can contact Olson Construction on Facebook at the Olson Construction LLC page or email olsonconstruction19 at gmail.com. Well, that is all for the intro. Talked a lot about The Last Dance. Obviously, we are all pumped up about this docu-series. Two episodes left to go. Mentioned MLB might be right around the corner in June. June 4th is when they are trying to bring the season back. So we're going to get to Rob Rupert. We talk a lot about everything. Great guy to talk to about sports. The Lady Bruins. Professional. College. We talk it all. A great guy. And this was a lot of fun speaking with him. I know you'll enjoy this conversation, so let's get to it. We will be back on Wednesday. I know we've had a show Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. That was kind of, I was catching up for last week. Had a lot of back conversations that I definitely wanted to get out to everybody. I apologize for taking a week off, but we are back in full effect. And we will hit you again on Wednesday. Until next time, peace. I just spoke with... St. Bede Senior, Charlie Holmes, and now I am joined by St. Bede softball coach, Rob Rupert. Rob, how's it going today, my friend? Good, Brandon. How are you? I am doing well, well as well as I can be, and hopefully you're doing the same in this crazy coronavirus COVID-19 quarantine that we find ourselves in today. Yeah, well, we've all been, family's been well, so that's a good thing. That's the positive. Uh, we've been spending a lot of time watching Netflix. <laughs> And I'm sure everyone else is these days. Yeah, that has been probably my number one question for like the last three weeks. So since I ask everybody else, what is it on Netflix that you've been watching? I've been watching Designated Survivor with uh, Kiefer Sutherland. And uh, I kind of got into that. My wife and daughter and I, we uh, really like watching Shameless. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if I should be admitting that or not, but uh, <laughs> it makes us laugh. So... I love Shameless, and even on this podcast, I had not seen season nine yet. So I watched season nine not too long ago and spoke about it on here. I love that show, so I think it's okay to say that you like it. I, I think it makes you feel good about yourself and your own family that maybe you're not as messed up as what you think you are. <laughs> 
Yeah, if you think you have a messed up family, that is one show you definitely have to watch and then put that on <laughs> in pers- put that in perspective. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Who is your favorite character on Shameless? Oh, by far, Frank. <laughs> by far, Frank. He plays that part so well. You would never know that he was such a intelligent, seasoned actor. You know, I mean, he's he's really good. Yeah, he makes you think that like that's him on a regular day. Oh, I guess. Kind of like when you used to watch uh, Two and a Half Men and, and uh, Charlie Sheen. That wasn't a real stretch for him playing that part either, I don't think. <laughs> no, like that was his life. Yeah. Makes it feel like that is really Frank. <laughs> it's it's yes, crazy. Yes, it does. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, like I said, unfortunately, we're in this quarantine. You know, normally you'd be probably on a softball field right now or going to a field or driving home or you know ending a practice something like that since it is 6 30 yes uh like you said we'd either be ending a practice or uh in the middle of a game or coming home from a game i'm enjoying a little bit of time off don't get me wrong but boy i miss being out there with the girls and, and the camaraderie that we had and you know my, my coaches and i and you know even the opposing teams and coaches you, you know you, you make uh, friends over the years doing this and uh, you enjoy seeing some of the people you know definitely has any whether it's coaches in the three rivers conference or you know other teams that you've played as any coaches or players have you like reached out and chatted with them to see how everybody's kind of taking this no not really I, I i don't have a lot of their uh contact information as far as you know personal phone numbers or whatever but um i, I see some guys from around the area uh, you know i obviously i coach, uh, see coach booker all the time you know, and i uh, coach filipini from hall you know, him and I have spoke before, but, uh, you know, no, I've been keeping a low profile now, too, you know, so. Definitely, when you say low profile, does that mean just Netflix, or have you been doing anything else during the quarantine? <laughs> no, I uh, really haven't been doing much. I've been doing, uh, you know, just uh, spending time with my wife and my daughter here at home, and we have uh, been enjoying cooking some dinners together and, you know, spending some time together. So, on the opposite hand, you know, my boys and I, my boys live, you know, a couple hours apart from us either way, and, and uh, we don't get to see them a lot now right now, you know. So, you know, we talked to them. Actually, Saturday night we had a nice uh, little video chat with them. My daughter got them both on the computer, and so all three of us were able to uh, talk back and forth and around and around. So we had a good time that night. Can you imagine going through this quarantine probably like 30 or 40 years ago, how different <laughs> it would be? Yeah, oh, absolutely. I mean, you know, all the shows that you got on TV, you can pick something and, and watch now, you know, and binge watch like like we've been doing, you know, and 30 years ago, I mean, heck, you were lucky to have three or four channels on TV. Yeah, binge watching, and for other people, you got Playstations and Xboxes and Zoom and Snapchat and Skype and Twitter and Facebook, and the list goes on and on and on and on. I don't think the world would survive a quarantine 30 or 40 years ago. It's uh, definitely an electronic world, and we're able to communicate a lot easier today. Yeah, you know, I've been surfing surfing the web a lot, too, you know, just looking at videos and, you know, Googling softball games or baseball games or just, uh, you know, watch some drills or, or whatever. We have quite the media explosion that we can look into. Yeah, can't forget podcasts. Yeah, podcasts, absolutely. <laughs> this is my first one. I'm a podcast virgin, so... Nice, nice. Well, I'm glad 
Okay, I don't want to make it sound weird. I'm glad I'm your first. <laughs> I know where you were going with that, Brandon. I, I get the hint. So. <laughs> I'm glad I'm your first podcast. That's awesome. <laughs> we'll keep this PG. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so when you have been Googling and YouTubing practice drills or softball games or baseball games, is there anything that you picked up that maybe you might try to put into your system or into a practice drill or anything like that? Oh, absolutely. You're always, you know, as, as a coach, I think you're always learning. And maybe not even, you know, put the whole drill that they're showing you into it, but just some some of the finer points of a drill, maybe even, you know, just to uh, expand on what we're doing, what we're te- teaching and stuff at the school. You know, maybe just uh, a, a hand position or a bat position or how you lead off a base, you know, uh, just little things you can pick up. And I say it all the time. I say the small things, the little things, okay? The team who does the most little things right is probably going to win that game. Coach Sun says the finer points of the game, which both mean the same, you know, just little little intricacies that you can pick up and you can, you know, take a half a step off of a play or whatever uh, makes maybe makes a big difference in the, in the game. Definitely, definitely. You know, obviously with IHSA making their announcement yesterday, today's Wednesday, April 22nd, on Tuesday, April 21st, IHSA, Illinois High School Association, decided to cancel spring sports day tournaments. And I know every team, athlete, coach, all the above, felt it hard with that decision and, you know, not being able to play, especially for your seniors. So just as the coach of the St. Bede Lady Bruins, how did that make you feel? And what is the team, you know, kind of talked about with this season kind of already being in the books? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I'm disappointed. I think we knew it was all coming, but, you know, you, you want to hold out hope. Um, I do feel bad for the not, – not – just the seniors, but the whole team, but especially the seniors, you know, they put in three years and, and then some of hard work to get where they were, you know, with our success last year, I think the seniors were obviously looking to build on that and expand their game and hopefully take their game and, and our team to the next level. I haven't had a lot of contact with the team. I mean, obviously we can't get together as a group and do anything, and I communicate with my captains, uh, let them know what's going on. But I don't know if uh, if you saw it, but uh, there is a, a little quick video on Instagram that our uh, sophomore girls put together. It's kind of a TikTok, I guess. One girl will throw the ball, and then it cuts to another girl at her yard catching the ball and throwing the ball. You, you know, so you, you kind of get the drift of what I'm talking about there. But, you know, that was neat to see that the girls are still staying engaged with each other. You know, it is a disappointment, and, you know, we were looking forward to building on what, what we've created at St. Bede. The softball program, since I took over, and I want to state that it's not because I took it over. It's because of all the hard work that myself, the coaches, and the players have put into it. The team has really grown as far as our accomplishments, our talent. So, you know, we were, we were looking forward to some good things this year. And again, I feel bad for the seniors, um, not not just for softball. They're not going to be able to walk across the stage and get their diploma. You know, they're not going to be able to go to their senior prom. They're missing out on a lot of things. And, you know, softball is minor in the scope of all this, really. It's kind of disappointing. 
Who were the seniors that you had on the squad this year? Charlie Holmes, Ellen Nowakowski, Haley Short, Cassidy Brady, Maddie Mudge, and Mackenzie Morwicki. Like you mentioned previously, you know the St. Pete Lady Bruins made the IHSA State Tournament last year, and quite a few of those players that you just mentioned were on that team. So you were coming back with a lot of experience from a state qualifying team, so I, I, that probably has to add to the hurt. Uh, yeah, it does. I mean, we, we were returning. Uh, basically, we started 10 players because we always used the DP flex. So of the 10 players that started last year, uh, in the state finals, we were returning seven of them. So, you know, I mean, we had uh, we had a lot of talent left. I mean, yes, we lost a lot of talent with Abby and Maggie and, and Gianna as our, you know, the three starters that departed. But, you know, we had some some capable fill-ins and, and girls that were going to fill spots. And I was looking forward to a, another good year. We have talent at all levels in our program. So... It's kind of disappointing. We would have liked to at least go back out and accomplish a little more. Since last year was your first year making it to state, I feel since this year got thrown away that it still counts as a back-to-back. <laughs> well, I guess uh, in a sense it does because the season was, you know, nothing was ever played. Nobody played any games. So, you know, hopefully things clear up by next spring. We're able to uh, regroup, you know, hit it hard again. Obviously, I lose a lot of talent again this year with losing Charlie and, and Haley Short and Eleanor Kowski and, and Cassidy Brady and the girls that were going to take up a lot of uh, playing time. So I guess nothing in his life is guaranteed, Brandon, and you, you got to deal with what you deal with and move forward. If there's one positive that we can take away from this, I think it's kind of that statement right there that we can't waste time or we have to take advantage of opportunities when they come or we have to spend as much time with our families and our loved ones as much as possible because we really don't know when we're not going to be able to do that. Like you said, you can't go see your sons right now. Things like that happen and there's nothing that you can do to control this. No, again, I I believe all of the... You know, from the contact I have had, all of the girls' families are all healthy and well. All of my coaches' families are healthy and well. Um, as far as I know, the school, the teachers, and the administrators, and everyone out there is healthy and well. So that's a good thing. Like I said, my family is all well. So, you know, I guess uh, in the small scope of thing, that's what's the most important thing right now is that all of our family and loved ones and friends are, are healthy and well. Not only are you the coach with the St. Bede softball program, you also play a big role in Little League in the Illinois, especially the Northern Illinois, Illinois Valley area. What is going on with Little League? I know it's probably starting sort of soon. What is going on with that? Has there been any cancellations, any rulings, any anything going on with Little League so far? Well, the last uh, directive that came out from Little League was... Uh there was going to be nothing until May 11th. What's going to happen after that, I don't know. I would think that Little League is looking into their options right now. The Little League season usually doesn't start till May 1st. So, I mean, if that's something that we can, you know, strive for May 11th, maybe they can, you know, push the tournaments back a little bit and, you know, give us a little bit of a playing season there. You know, it's, it's going to be tough because most of these kids that are that are playing – uh, little league baseball they haven't been doing anything either you know yeah maybe some of them been out in the yard throwing with their brother or mom or dad or 
sister or whatever. And until the parks were all closed, I did see kids over in the batting cages, you know. So there were some out doing stuff. But, you know, you're going to have to give leagues a chance to get their teams reorganized and get some practice time in to get them. You don't want anybody getting hurt. I don't know, you know, what, what they're going to do, what, what their plans are. I haven't really heard any more other than that. You know, it's kind of hard to coordinate a season and a tournament season because some states may be uh, lifting their stay-at-home quarantines earlier than others, you know, so it's, it's going to be difficult. I don't know what their plans are going to be or what they've been talking about because they really haven't shared anything other than, you know, just the uh, shutdown till, till May 11th, so. Definitely, and you just brought up a good point that really haven't discussed, and that is the shape of these kids. So say this band or quarantine gets, I don't know why I called it a band, but say the quarantine gets lifted and, you know, you could bring these kids back. You still have to have practice time. You still have to have time to get kids conditioned and in shape because you're right. They have sat at home, played video games, ate probably the same kind of food that they would normally eat without any gym class, without walking to school, without walking the halls and getting those steps in. We really don't realize how important the steps in and walking are every day until you're not doing it. And these kids won't realize that, but their parents are going to see them putting on an extra 10 pounds and the coaches would too. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I see it myself. (laughs) Uh, Doing uh, Netflixing and everything. So, no, you're, you're right, Brandon. You don't realize that you know, just the everyday things you do, you know, walking three or four blocks to school for them kids or getting into gym class and running for an hour, just out doing physical stuff, uh, playing on the swing sets, uh, you know, whatever, uh, swinging a baseball bat, throwing a baseball, you're using energy. So yeah, you're going to have to give everybody a chance to get their arms loosened back up and get their legs stretched out and, you know, just get them in, in, in a little bit of game shape. And, you know, not that, all the little league players are high school level, you know, athletes or whatever. But you know, it, it still takes time. You know, you gotta you gotta work with the kids and, and uh, you know, especially the younger kids, teach them how to throw the ball, how to catch the ball, and that takes time. It's not something that you just go out and do. Yeah, it's not like just riding a bike, unfortunately. Right. Right. You know, I mean, the younger kids, uh, you know, you get down in instructional league. That's hence the name instructional league. You know, you gotta. You're teaching them how to play that game, teaching them how to throw a ball, how to catch a ball, how to hit a ball, how to run the bases. It's not a 10-minute proposition to to throw a baseball out there and tell them, here we go, we're going to play baseball. I mean, and it works with all ages. I mean, I have taken thousands and thousands and thousands of jump shots in my day. Last time that I shot a basketball, I hadn't probably shot in, I'm going to say, like a year and a half, two years. And it was the ugliest thing that I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Yeah, well, I haven't picked up a softball in, well, over a month now. I was throwing a little bit when when we first started practicing, but I haven't done anything really physical since the stay-at-home quarantine. And even before that, because I had knee surgery back in January, so I was kind of on the shelf for you know a couple months before that i was just just starting to get back into game shape myself when we started practice so it's it's not easy you know like you said you don't realize the the little things we do in our daily lives how many steps you get in and and, you know just uh catching a a basketball or throwing a frisbee or or whatever you know i mean you use you're using muscles and you're you're burning up energy and it's going to be a big change to get these kids back in, in, in uh, even in the mode to want to play. 
Yeah, one thing we were talking about was technology. And on my phone, I didn't set it up. It just happened this way. It keeps track of your steps. It set a goal for me and everything. So I'm on a weekly rotation for work. And I walk to work because I'm only like four or five blocks away. It takes me less than 10 minutes. So I walk. The days that I'm working, I am killing that goal. That goal means nothing to me when I'm working. When I am not working and I'm not walking to work, that goal seems like the furthest, most unattainable thing that has ever happened in my life. <laughs> sure. You don't realize it's, it's you know, just a, a natural thing when you're working. You just get out and you, you do it. And, and now you got to think about it and, and think, how am I going to get them steps in? So people don't realize and, and maybe don't think about it what, what a difference this is making in our uh, physical abilities as a, as a country, as a world, truthfully. Yeah, no doubt about that. No doubt. Well, the one crazy awesome thing that is going on besides like reflecting on, you know, what's important in life and stuff, even though there's no sports going on, there is this amazing docu-series called The Last Dance about the 1997-1998 Bulls. Please tell me that you've watched it. Well, I, I did watch the first part of it. Uh, I'm sure it's on Netflix and I'll be uh, looking for that after I'm done with Shameless and my uh, designated survivor series. So I'll be looking for something else to watch. And and that very well may be what I watch. You know, back when the Bulls were in their heyday with the Michael Jordan heydays, uh, I was a big basketball fan. I watched every Bulls game there was, I think, you know, and God, what a team. You can talk all you want. Michael Jordan is probably the greatest basketball player I've seen in my lifetime. And I grew up in the 60s and 70s, so I saw some some really good basketball players. You know, I caught the tail end of Julius Irvings and Wilt Chamberlain's and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's, but, you know, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird's, Walt Frazier. You know, I go back as far as seeing Walt Frazier play with the New York Knicks, Abe DeBusher. You know, so I've seen a lot of good basketball players, and, and, and yeah, some of them were probably at, at the end of their careers when I saw them, uh, Oscar Robertson. But from what I remember, and God, Michael Jordan was the best I ever saw. But with that being said, he was able to be the best he could be, or best player in basketball, because he had a good supporting cast around him. You know, you look back, and, and how many teams have, you know, two Hall of Famers on their team? And two of the 50 greatest basketball players of all time on their team at the same time. You know, Scotty Pippen, uh, who's who I'm talking about. Oh, yeah, definitely. We know. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so, I mean, it's it, it wasn't just all Michael Jordan. You had, to, you had to play everybody on the Bulls. You couldn't slack off of any one person. You know, the Horace Grants, the Bill Wennington's, the B.J. Armstrong's, the John Paxson's, the Steve Kerr's that all came along throughout the years. Dennis Rodman. Tony Kukoc, uh, Luke Longley, all them guys, you know, played a role, you know, defining the Chicago Bulls in, in that era. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I am going to disagree with you a tad. If you look back at some of the NBA championship teams, I don't think there's ever a number one without a strong number two. You had Kobe and Shaq. You had Tim Duncan and Tony Parker. You had... I mean, I could keep listening. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, you're, you're right. I, you know, I, I guess I shouldn't have made that statement. That, but still, I don't know that all of them are top fifty players. And obviously, Kobe is, and, and Shaq is, and Tim Duncan is. But um, you know, Tony Parker, I don't believe is one of the top fifty. 
You're right um, about that. That's true. You know, so, I, but, but with that being said, any team that wins a championship, they're putting seven, eight, maybe even nine guys out on that court that are very, very outstanding ball players. You know, if Michael Jordan wasn't on that team, Scottie Pippen would have been probably a bigger star than what he was, you know, because Scotty had a lot of abilities too. Oh, but, yeah, uh, no doubt. And those. 18 months when Jordan decided to play baseball, Scottie Pippen was a top five player in the league and showed it with MVP votes. Absolutely. And and that's kind of a shame. Michael Jordan took them two years off because the Bulls probably would have won eight championships in a row, not three and three. And I do want to say I do agree with you about the depth. You were naming all those players off. And I think that's what made the Bulls so awesome. Sure, you had the greatest player ever. And you had a top 50 player. And you had Dennis Rodman, who at that time, you know, probably was a top, we'll say, 25 to 30 player. But all those other guys, we all remember their names. We all know what they were good at. And it was because how talented everybody was, the depth of the roster. Oh, absolutely. You know, uh, I mean, Michael Jordan probably made some of them guys better than what they actually were just by taking some of the pressure off them. And not just on the basketball court, some of the pressure off them with the media, with the uh, administration. You know, when Michael was on the court, John Paxson was probably left open a lot of times because whoever was guarding John Paxson had to help with Michael Jordan, you know, or the same thing with Steve Kerr or B.J. Armstrong. So... You know, I mean, I'm sure Michael made him a lot better, but that's what made, that's the mark of a good team. When it's your turn to step up, you know, Michael gets you the ball, and, and you know, you've got a 25-foot shot, and you can bury it. That's a big plus. And I forget where I heard this from, but they were comparing that, because Jordan did that all the time. He would dish out to John Paxson, who knocked down a couple huge threes in big games that we remember. Steve Kerr buried a three to, to win an uh, NBA Finals game. Because Jordan took the pressure off the D off and dished it out. Then it was brought to attention. I really wish I could remember where I heard this from. It might have been Bill Simmons on the Bill Simmons podcast. I'm pretty sure that's what it was. But anyway, he was comparing that to LeBron James. Of course, that's the comparison we're all going to these days. But there's been times where LeBron has done that, dished off to people, and they have not drained the three. They have not made that big bucket. And when that happens, we're like, why didn't LeBron just take the shot? I wonder if Jordan, you know, if he makes that dish to Steve Kerr and he doesn't hit it, or John Paxson and he doesn't hit it, what the conversation would have been like then. Yeah, you don't know. Um, With that being said, John Paxson and Steve Kerr were, were really good shooters in their day. B.J. Armstrong was a great ball handler. You know, so, you know, they had abilities too. It wasn't like they were just, you know, an empty beer bottle out there on the court taking up space. <laughs> they had talent too. They, they could, you know, hold their own against pretty much anybody their size within the league too, I think. You know what I mean? John Paxson probably could have done that on other teams. Uh, Steve Kerr could have done it on other teams, I think, too, you know, without the uh, presence of Michael Jordan. So, you know, I, I mean, you, you have to give the whole Bulls organization credit for putting good players around Michael Jordan. And, and I think that maybe that's where the early days of LeBron and Cleveland, why they didn't win championships, because they didn't have the quality of players around him. Look when he went to Miami when he had Dwayne Wade and, and Chris Bosh around him. You know, it made a big difference. Oh, yeah, and, and they even had players, you know. Yeah, and they even had that. They had Mike Miller knock down some crazy shots. And, yeah, they had other players as well. Right. And then, you know, now going out to Los Angeles, 
you know, uh, he doesn't have quite the amount of talent around him as he did down in Miami. Even back, uh, you know, a few years ago when he went back to Cleveland, he had uh, Kyrie Irvin with him. You know, so there was some, some talent there, too. And that was the reason why they won the championship there that year. You know, so you got to give the Bulls organization credit for, for getting some top flight players in the, within the league. So this kind of goes into my next question, because obviously you were old enough to like pay attention to stuff with the buzz of the media. Maybe not as crazy as it is now with Facebook and Twitter and, you know, the crazy amounts of social media there is now. But newspapers and networks and things like that were still covering the, I guess, the behind the scenes stuff that this documentary is, you know, showing to the rest of us that didn't get to pay attention to it. When this happened, so in 97, I turned 12, but I don't turn 12 until October. So the summer leading up and Jerry Krause telling Phil Jackson that this is your last year. I don't care if you win 82 games, you're not coming back. Things like that, I had no idea, and there's a lot of other people that didn't. With you being able to be, you know, conscious of this stuff, how did it unfold for you as a fan to be able to know that stuff and still see what they were doing on the court? Well, I think as a fan, I, I was wrapped up in just utter amazement at how good they were. But also, you know, you know, you hear the rumblings of, and you think to yourself, oh, they'll never do that. Why would they do that? You know, it's just, it's just media hype and you know, maybe trying to push him to excel and whatever, you know. But so, I mean, I didn't get involved with a lot of that, you know, reading up on it and watching it and getting involved with that part as far as, but boy, I'll tell you what, watching that, that show really opened my eyes a little more to it that I couldn't imagine why people were booing Jerry Krause at the ring ceremonies. <laughs> but, you know, you, you get a little more insight into that and, and hear a little more candid interviews from the players that they had there. Jerry Krause wasn't very well liked, I don't think. No, and I remember watching that ring ceremony, but I do not remember that situation where Krause got booed out of the building, and then right after that, Phil Jackson gets a standing ovation pretty much right after him. Yeah. Yeah, it it was a funny time. Yes, in life, we all have our own personality, and personalities clash at times, and... Unfortunately, the people that hold the power, you know, they, they have a little more to say than what you and I do. But, you know, maybe Jerry and, and Phil had a, a bad relationship and, and Jerry just wanted to get rid of him and, and show that he was the boss, you know. And I, I don't know. Obviously, we don't we'll, we may never know. You know, some of them guys will never come clean with what the deal was and, and why. I've heard rumors of uh, Michael Jordan. The reason that he went and played baseball them two years was because he was. Uh, he got caught gambling and, and so on and so forth. And he was asked by the league to step away for a while to let it blow over or something. So, you know, there's all kinds of conspiracies out there with all that stuff. And who knows? Maybe Phil didn't want to come back. I don't know. You know, so, but it, it was a shame because they had such, you know, maybe they wouldn't have been a, a 72 win season team. But you don't have to be a 72-win season team to win a championship. You know, you can win 65 games or, or even 60 games and make the playoffs and, and still win the championship. So I, I think they still would have been, um, you know, a very formidable opponent when it came time. Well, a couple things that you were talking about with Jerry and Phil. I didn't understand, like, A, from Jerry's point of view, you have the greatest player of all time and the greatest coach of all time. 
I don't care what your personality is. Why don't you just eat those thoughts for a little bit? Think about all the money that you're making as a general manager and your organization winning all these championships, what they mean to the community, what they mean to Chicago, and just eat that for a little bit, soak it up for a couple more years, realize that players are not going to play forever. Jordan was with the Bulls for 13 years, wasn't going to play forever. Just eat that up just a couple more years, get some more money. Why throw that away? And from Jerry Reinsdorf's point of view as the owner, why doesn't he step in? Because he is the all-encompassing power. He can do whatever he wants to, including telling Jerry Krause that, hey, dude, what are you doing? No, Phil Jackson is staying here because if Michael Jordan is only staying because Phil's going to be here, then that's what we're going to do because we are racking in money and championships. I didn't understand how either one of those things didn't overpower what actually really did happen. Yeah, I, I agree, and uh, that was going to be my point. You know, Jerry Reinsdorf held the uh, held the gavel, and he could have put a stop to all that by, you know, saying no, we're gonna we're gonna keep this together, and I'm the guy paying the, you know, I'm the guy signing the checks, and these are the guys I want on my floor, you know. And yeah, you're right. There was a lot of money there. There was probably a lot of money left on the table, not only for uh, the Bulls, but the city of Chicago, uh, the NBA as a whole. You know, people coming into town. Chicago to watch games you know I mean there was probably people coming in from all over the world to watch games there they were spending money in town the Bulls were making money because they had the sold out stadium all the time jerseys for Jordan and Pippen and Horace Grant and and whoever was on that team Tony Kukoc were flying off the shelves you know I mean there was millions and millions of dollars that were probably left on the table because they broke that team up yeah, it is. It's just crazy insane. I'll never understand that. What you said about Michael Jordan and gambling, I am really interested to see if this docuseries goes into that at all. Because they're going back and showing, you know, this happened with Jerry Krause. This happened with Scottie Pippen's contract. You know, this got a player in a trade and, and stuff like that. I know that they have had this footage, obviously, for like 25 years since they hired a camera crew to follow them throughout the whole 97-98 campaign, knowing that this was gonna be the last run for them. But Michael Jordan, kind of sat on it and didn't want to get involved because he's kind of like backed away from the media. So they finally got him to come into it. So I don't know really how much they're going to touch on that being that Michael Jordan came in involved and he's always been worried about his image. It's just one of the rumors, conspiracy rumors that I've heard. This even goes back to uh, his father being murdered. You know, there was there were rumors at the time that his father was murdered because he owed a big gambling debt. Uh, again, I have, you know, obviously I have no way of knowing that, but, but there's conspiracies at all levels, uh, you know, of, of whatever happens. And we may never know what the real truth is because I'm sure who was the commissioner then David Stern was the commissioner. I'm sure he didn't want that to get out. Obviously Michael doesn't want that out because that's, you know, tarnishing his image. Yeah. I, I doubt to, to get this broadcast and publicized they had to have michael's permission i'm sure you know to do this uh, his blessing so i would think that there's probably nothing in there about uh you know the reasoning why he left other than he just needed to take a break but again we may never know the real story yeah probably not but i think all of us deep down and be like yeah he was a gambler <laughs> like yeah brandon what do you do with all your money you got that kind of money what do you do with it 
You can only have so many cars. You can only have so many houses. You can only go on so many trips. You know, obviously he wasn't a drug user. At least I, I don't know of him being that way. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> what do you do with your money? You know, hell, if I had the millions of dollars that he had, I'd go out on the golf course with you. And I, I would bet you that you couldn't come within, you know, 30 feet of uh, a tree. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> right. You'd probably win all your money on that bet, but yeah, I understand what you're saying. <laughs> but I mean, that's, you know, what is, that, that's, his, that's his fun, making a bet. I'll, I'll, I'll bet you 50 bucks that I can bounce this ball from half court and make it go in the basket. Or, you know, you know just what do you do? You got to gotta amuse yourself somehow, don't you? Yeah, and I know crazy gamblers that have nowhere near the kind of money that Michael Jordan had then or now. So, yeah, I get it, and I really don't hold it against him. I mean, now sports gambling is legal, so it's not even really a thing anymore. Right. Well, and I don't know, you know, maybe they thought he was gambling on on his own team or whatever. I don't know, you know, kind of the a la Pete Rose. So, you know, maybe that was part of it. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can gamble on uh, just about anything you want to now. Uh, I mean, hell, for the Super Bowl, you can gamble on whether it's going to be a head or a tail on the coin flip. You know, I mean, (laughs) so if I had that kind of money, I wouldn't care. You know, I mean, he he probably went to the golf course and probably had seven, eight, ten thousand dollars in his pocket when he went. Maybe more than that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they were talking about a playoff series earlier in Michael Jordan's career with against the Boston Celtics and him and Danny Ainge went and played golf and Danny Ainge took some money off Michael Jordan. So then he comes back on the basketball court and gets revenge. Yeah. Yeah. I think that was the, the night that he scored 63 points, wasn't it? Yep. It was. Yeah. So I actually, a, a little sidebar to that. I went to the game after that game at the Chicago stadium and the Bulls actually got beat that game when they came back to Chicago by the Boston Celtics. Maybe mistaken, but I think Boston won the uh, championship that year. I think that was probably, what, about 80, 85, 86, 87, somewhere in there? I think, it was, I think it was the 86 team. Yeah. I sat in the nosebleed of the uh, Chicago Stadium watching that game. Oh, that's amazing. It's hard to argue that he, he was not the greatest player, and, and they probably broke that team up way too soon. So when you're watching this, you have like real life flashbacks of you at these games. I only saw one Michael Jordan live game, and that was the one. But um, <laughs> believe me, I watched a good percentage of Michael Jordan's games. You know, obviously the first year he came into the league, I believe it was what nineteen eighty four. Yep. Uh, the number three pick overall. About halfway through the season, you started paying attention, thinking. Man, this guy is good. You know, where did he come from? And, and, and not that I didn't know who Michael Jordan was, but, you know, he was a, I don't want to say a run-of-the-mill college ball player. He was a very good college basketball player, too. But, God, he took his game to the next level and, and probably four or five more levels when he got to the NBA. Yeah, no doubt. He he was not the best player out of out of college by any means. There was a reason Akeem Olajuwon was picked, number one. And, and Sam Bowie. Yeah. I think the reason Portland took Sam Bowie was because they already had Clyde Drexler, and there really wasn't a reason to get a player. Right. They wanted the big man, yep. Right. So I kind of feel bad for Sam Bowie. He got through in the mix like that, but he probably was the best big man after Akeem Alonjo went out of that draft. Probably, and and had Sam Bowie not had the foot problems, he he probably would have been a 
a very good pro player. You never know with injuries, though. You never know. Right, and that's the thing. You know, I mean, fortunately, Michael Jordan was able to, uh, you know, stay away from the injury bug. Look at the Derrick Roses, you know. Has a great, promising career, and uh, all of a sudden you get a knee injury, and, you know, now you've become a, I I don't want to say a a mediocre player because he was still a really good ball player, but it it took a lot of his, uh, his game away from him once he got hurt. Yeah, I think you just made me shed a tear. <laughs> <laughs> he was the only hope that the Bulls have had since the Jordan era of getting back to, I don't even want to say dominance, I just want to say winning consecutive seasons of basketball. Without right. that era, without Derrick Rose, the Luau Dangs, Joakim Noah, throwing Carlos Boozer, that group, Ben Gordon was there for a little bit. Without that little group for, we'll say, like three, four years, it has been very, very bleak since the 97-98 season. You, you're absolutely right. And there's a, you, you mentioned another guy there. The injury bug kind of took him, too, is Joakim Noah. You know, he had the problems with his feet. And I'm not saying Joakim Noah was a, a top 50 ball player in, in the uh, scheme of NBA basketball as far as the whole concept of NBA basketball. Within the, the league, he may have been one of the top 50 ball players, But he was a very energetic player. He was very active on the boards. You know, not a great scorer, but he scored a lot of points because he was very active. And, and, uh, yeah, Ben Gordon, you know, Derrick Rose could penetrate. Ben Gordon could shoot the ball. Kind of all of Steve Kerr and and John Paxson. To to go back to Derrick Rose in college, watching him play at Memphis State, I didn't think he was that good. Actually, even watching him in high school in the state tournament in in, uh, IHSA, I didn't think he was that good, you know. To me, he just didn't dominate a game the way I thought he would. But then, you know, thinking about what I just said about Michael Jordan, maybe not a, the top player in college either, you know. Maybe sometimes the, the NBA game suits other players, some players better than the college and high school game. Yeah, because if you think a lot of some of the best college players over the years don't really have those fantastic NBA careers. I mean, Christian Leitner dominated college ball one of the probably five top college players of all time. He gets to the NBA, and he was a journeyman, didn't really excel anywhere. Tyler Hansborough was awesome in North Carolina, kind of an energy guy, would score here and there, but was the face of college ball for at least two years, and I think he was out of the NBA in like three and really never shined at all. Right. Well, and and look at some of the players that come out of college that you never hear about. Did you ever hear about Scottie Pippen before he came out of college? Not at all. Not at all. I I didn't even know where Central Arkansas was until Scottie Pippen was was drafted. I was thinking the exact same thing as you said it. You know, and and there's a lot of them. Look at uh, Charles Oakley. Did you know Charles Oakley before he came out of college? No. Probably not. Did did you know Tony Parker before he came out of college? No. Probably not. Unless you were a, a really hardcore college basketball aficionado, there's a lot of players that are playing in the NBA that you really didn't know about. Today is a different story because of what we've talked about before, social media, ESPN. I can remember back in the heydays of ESPN, probably back in the uh, early to mid-80s, on a Saturday in the fall and winter time, you could turn on ESPN at 8 o'clock in the morning and watch a basketball game until probably 2 or 3 o'clock the next morning because they covered it. And at the time, a friend of mine, we had a house that we were living in together, uh, renting, and, man, we, we knew 
some college basketball back then, you know, but after that, I kind of got out of it a little bit. Obviously, I got married and, and started a family, so I got out of it a little bit uh, as far as being able, to, being able to have the time to watch all that college basketball. But, <laughs> but you know, like I said, now today with all the social media and, and just uh, the TV coverage and, you know, I mean, you can turn on any array of channels. You got Fox Sports, you got MSNBC Sports or NBC Sports or whatever it is. You know, uh, you got ESPN. has got how many channels that you can find sports on. You know, so there's always a game. And, you know, it's not just the UCLA-Notre Dame game. It's not the uh, uh, LSU-Florida State game. You know, you're getting uh, Montana State and Boise State or whatever. You know what I mean? So a lot of these kids are getting a lot more exposure than what they had back then. So I, I think you recognize names a little little more now you know what i mean yeah two things that i just got from from your your chat right there steph curry came from davidson i didn't know what davidson was i didn't know who steph curry was right and then what we were talking about with tv coverage i went to school at southern illinois university when i was down there my sophomore year we went to the sweet 16 and other than that we really didn't have a crazy amount of success except when you know walt frazier was there i actually got to meet him Really? He, yeah, he's a Hall of Famer from SIU. Led right. us to, uh, it was kind of the equivalent of the NIT tournament in the 60s. But right. we actually won that with him. And he came back my senior year because they redid the arena. So he oh. came there and I got to do an interview with him for the college newspaper. When uh, SIU made Sweet 16, was that when Carlton Faye was playing? No, right before. Oh, okay. So he got to that team, I want to say, two three years later okay okay yeah who's, lo- lost who's a hall of famer from Brad- from bradley what's that who's a hall of famer from bradley i have no idea he played with the chicago bulls i feel like i should know this chet walker oh yeah yeah duh <laughs> yeah, that was a dumb moment i'm like I, as soon as you say it i'm gonna feel like an idiot and i do yeah there's another guy, that we're speaking about Bradley, there's another guy who kind of got lost in obscurity in, in uh, the pro game, Percy Hawkins. Oh, yeah. A great college basketball player had a mediocre pro career. And now that you talk about him, um, just because I seen him not too long ago with uh, at IVCC, Kenny Battle, great for University of Illinois, didn't do anything in the pros. A lot of them guys on that team, well, who was the point guard, D. Brown? Oh, yeah. You know? Uh, who's the other guy? The uh, the kid from Texas, uh, Luther Head. No, not Luther Head. Uh, he played with D. Brown. Uh, man, his name's escaping me right now. God, I can't think of what it is. But anyway, you know, them guys were were great college basketball players. Never never really produced in the NBA. You know, to go back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, maybe the NBA game suits some players, and it it takes some games away from some players. Yeah, we never know how we're gonna adapt to change and transition. You never know. Hey, all I can say, Brandon, is I'm glad we're not sitting at a bar drinking and talking sports because you and I probably wouldn't go home tonight. No, we. this would be the longest podcast ever if that was the case. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we haven't even we haven't even touched on baseball or uh, football yet. <laughs> I know, it's only been, actually it started off with one show and then sort of kind of went into college and that's, yeah, that's it. Been a sports fan all my life, Brandon, and and uh, you know baseball was always my sport because that's what I was better at than any of the other ones. I, I'm not going to say I was a 
a great baseball player, but but I enjoyed playing the game much more than all the rest of them. And I, and I did have a little bit of abilities in the, in the game of baseball. So, But I enjoyed all the sports. That maybe soccer, I kind of bored watching that after a little while, but. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> Definitely. Before I let you go, you just brought up, you know, a good question for you. You know, being that you were a baseball player, and you know that's the game you enjoyed most. Why go into coaching softball instead of baseball? I mean, it's very similar, but why coach the girls instead of the boys? Well, to be totally honest with you, I coached my boys through little league all the way up through you know seventeen, eighteen years old, big league teams. You know, obviously grew out of the little league era, the high school era. Uh, went on to uh, colleges and never played sports at colleges. But uh, when my daughter was probably in sixth grade, maybe seventh grade, sixth grade probably, 11 years old maybe, she decided she wanted to play softball. So she came to me and says, Dad, if I play softball, will you coach the team? Well, what can I say, Brandon? I coached both of the boys. I coached their teams all along. My daughter comes to me and says, Dad, will you coach the team if I play? I said, absolutely. That's how I got involved with coaching girls. I started coaching at the city level with, you know, a, a little league team, 11 and 12 year old girls. I coached when she moved up to junior league, 13 to 14 year old. I coached that level. We had some success with our all-star team. We actually went to the state tournament up in uh, South Holland with them girls. When uh, she was in eighth grade, Mike Urbanski was hired as the softball coach out of St. B. He knew that my daughter was uh, looking at going to St. B to go to school for a lot of reasons, and one of them was athletics. She felt she had a, a better opportunity to, to play sports out there, and, you know, just uh, the smaller atmosphere than LP. So Mike Urbaski approached me one night, and he says, hey, how would you like to help coach out of St. B? And so I thought about it, and I says, you know, I, I would, Mike. I would really like to help coach. You know, I, I says, uh, I enjoy being with the kids, whether they're boys or girls. I've always enjoyed the game of uh, baseball. And like you said, there are a lot of similarities. I said, yeah. Well, I was just going to be an assistant coach out there. For some reason, actually, Lisa Griggs, who is my uh, JV coach right now, was supposed to be the head JV coach back then. And for some reason, uh, the school offered to do it or something fell through or whatever. I don't know. But Mike asked me if I would be the head coach of the JV program. So I says, yeah, I'll do it. You know, it was kind of out of necessity. So I spent two years there and then Mike uh, resigned from uh, the varsity level. I thought, you know, I talked to my wife about it. I thought, well, you know what? I enjoy being with the kids. My daughter's out here. You know what? I'm going to throw my hat in the ring. So I did. I applied for the position. I know I wasn't their first choice to be coach out there. Uh, I think I got the job kind of on default. But, uh, you know, um, as they say, the rest is history. I, I think it's been a pretty good fit, and I've learned a lot from obviously coaching it. I, I brought in some pretty good people around me to help coach, and uh, i got to give a lot of credit to, to them people, and I've learned a lot from, from everybody that coaches out there, you know. Yeah, that's how, <laughs> kind of a drawn-out story, but that's how I got involved. My daughter started playing, and she wanted me to coach the team, so. No, it's pretty cool. I like it. I did not know all of that. I sort of knew some of it, but not all of it. I like it. Yeah, well, you know, Mike, Mike took over when Bill Prokop, actually it was after the 2013 season, when St. Bede went to the Final Four that year and took fourth place. Bill Prokop stepped away from the program, and that's when Mike was hired. 
So he coached in, uh, what, 14 and 15? I actually did interviews with all three of them. Yeah, so I did interviews with Prokop, Urbanski, and you. So I, I touched all three of them during my time at the local newspaper. <laughs> when I applied for that job, Bill was a big supporter of mine of getting that job. And I don't know that, you know, he had anything to do with me getting the job, but, but Bill supported me in what I did. In fact, uh, the homecoming night, when uh, Bill passed away, him and I were sitting out at the tent at homecoming that night, probably about 7, 30, 8 o'clock in the evening. And Bill said to me, he says, Rob, he says, I would like to come back and help coach. And he says, I want to coach at the JV level. I don't want to coach varsity. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But I miss it. I want to come back and coach. He said, would you consider that? And I didn't have to consider long. I said, Bill, absolutely. And I went home that night. We spoke for a little while after that. I shook his hand. And I said, I'll be in touch. And uh, I went home. The next morning, my daughter was getting ready for homecoming dance. So my wife took her to the beauty shop in the morning. She came home and says to me, did you hear about Bill Prokop? I says, no, what? She said that he, they, they think he had a heart attack and passed away last night. I says, no way. I says, I was talking to him at 8 o'clock last night. So I, I couldn't believe it. I, I had to call uh, Tom McGonigal and ask him. And he says, yeah, he, he, he passed. Uh, and I forget the timing of it, but he said, yes, he did pass. So, you know, Bill never did get to come back. And, and uh, you know, I never... Did speak to him again, at, you know, obviously after that. And, uh, you know, it, it was um, kind of sad, you know, because I was looking forward to Bill coming back because he meant a lot to the program, too. He had a lot of history there with that program. So, but, uh, yeah, that's uh, how the world goes around, huh? Yeah, wow, I didn't definitely did not all know all that. So you were kind of, I mean, you don't know for sure, don't know numbers, statistics, but you were one of the last people to talk to him. Oh, uh, I was, yeah, I was probably one of the last 20 or 30, I would imagine. I don't know. Uh, I'm sure he made the rounds around there after I left, but um, I don't think it was too much longer after we spoke that he uh, he told his wife he wanted to go home because he wasn't feeling good. So oh, man. that kind of goes back to the whole beginning of our conversation an hour and a half ago, Brandon. <laughs> you never know what tomorrow's bringing, right? You never have any idea. Never. So so I guess this conversation has pretty much gone full circle, hasn't it? <laughs> it has. It has. I like it. I like it. See, these podcasts are awesome. It just starts flowing, and it's a pretty cool conversation. Yeah, you know, and again, you know, you you said, uh, hey, just like we're talking at the bar, and, you know, I mean, it really is. You know, you, you're a, obviously a very intelligent sports aficionado, and, and I would like to consider myself having a little bit of knowledge in the in sports. Uh, so, it, it, actually, I enjoyed the conversation. We've had, you know, pretty good talk here. I think I probably dominated the talk a little bit, but <laughs> you're supposed to. That's the point of this. You, everybody can hear from me every day. Not you. So you're supposed yeah. to dominate these. I enjoy sports pretty much, no matter what it is. Uh, other than soccer, I've never been able to get into soccer. I don't know what it is, but I can watch cliff diving in Acapulco. I can watch. Uh, I've even <laughs> learned to watch a little bit of golf. <laughs> I love when the Olympics are on. I love watching the speed skating and the, uh, you know, the, the uh, ski jumping. I, 
I, I love ski jumping since I was a kid. I, I can remember watching it on Wide World of Sports when I was a kid. Oh, yeah, you know? definitely. Definitely. And uh, so, I mean, I, I just, I, I enjoy sports. Definitely. Well, Edge of Your Seat Podcast will always be a home for you to talk sports anytime you want to. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Brandon, and uh, I hope I didn't get too long-winded on his conversations, and, and uh, you know, I'd be willing to come back and talk some more sometime. Never. Long-winded is what I like to hear or what I like to have happen on Edge of Your Seat Podcast. Thank you very much, Coach, for doing this, and I love going down memory lane and the stories that you told about, you know, your career and things like that. I learned a lot, and hopefully the listeners do too, so thank you very much. Okay.